गुरु ब्रह्मा गुरु विष्णु गुरुदेव महेश्वर गुरुदेव पराब्रह्म तस्मय श्री गुरुवे नम ओं स्थापकाय चर्म सेवस्वूपिने अवतार वरिष्ठा रामकृष्णा ये नम ओं तापकृत तप्तजीवन कविबीलिदीत गलशापम श्रवण मंगल श्रीमदात भूवि गृहंदी ये बुरीदाजना O oh Lord your nectar like words stop the burning misery of afflicted souls your words which the poets have sung in verse vanquish the sins of the worldly forever blessed are they who hear of your vast glory blessed indeed are they who speak of you and how unparalleled is their bounty Jaima thank you thank you for coming So Guruji Swami Bhajanananda as we speak he's in India uh so uh while he's gone we'll be continuing our Saturday satsangs and we're continuing where uh, we left off we're going through the Shri Shri Ramakrishna Katamrita and we're going through volume by volume kind of going through the Bengali uh, slowly So right now we're in uh volume 1 and we're in book 2 the second kund um this is the boat ride with Keshab Chandra Sen and Vijay Goswami so to kind of set up uh Keshab had arranged a a boat ride a steamer steamship on the the Ganga and he invited Shri Krishna to come along so he came but Vijay Goswami was in Thakur's room so he came along too. So Vijay Goswami had been a disciple of Keshab Chandra Sen and the Brahmo Samaj but then had split away for various circumstances which we talked about in earlier satsangs. So anyway there was a little bit of tension and so he had these he formed his own group and so there was a bit of you know there's gurus and their disciples and you know <coughs> former gurus and former disciples so it's um There was a little bit of tension and they were all crammed in the room in the cabin on the steamer and they're eating their puffed rice eating their muri and Thakur was trying to you know break the tension and so you had Keshab sitting in a chair and Vijay Goswami in a chair and in the middle is Ramakrishna so and people crowding all around so that's kind of the scene and so for the last last few chapters uh of this of this book Uh, book 2 in volume 1 uh he the steamer's been going and Thakur's been going through various topics and uh last time was chapter 7 and Thakur was talking about how um uh just as in Krishna Leela you had uh, Jatila and Kutila and they added spice and he's even Thakur even said that uh, you won't get nourishment from the Leela if you don't have those characters who kind of add that tension and add that spice to the story so he was talking about that and so then as we know mahendranath gupta shri m who recorded the katamrit this is all there's um there's 10 chapters in this second book of volume 1 but it's just one day it's the same boat ride carried over course of 10 chapters he divided it into chapters in the middle of the conversation in the middle of takur talking he breaks it and it starts a new chapter because for M it wasn't so much a um, a recounting of an historical event it was and M's memory was incredible he had like a photographic memory and he took copious diaries from which he called all these uh, uh these entries and uh, these the Kathambrit basically is from his diary notes but for him these were meditations Uh, on Thakur's sayings on the scenes. So sometimes like the first chapter is just Thakur being invited to come on the boat and getting on a small boat to get onto the steamer. And as he's in the small boat, he goes into samadhi. That's all chapter 1. That's just for M, that was stop there and think about it and think about the scene. So now we're in chapter 8, but keep in mind that this is all one long conversation as the steamship is going towards calcutta 
along the Ganga. <clears throat> and so, in the early, in the first few volumes of the Katamrit, for each of these chapters, M picks a, a scripture verse. Usually it's from the Bhagavad Gita, sometimes it's from one of the Tantras, or from the Guru Gita. And that kind of, he uses that as like an epigram, or like a, a, a verse that kind of, for him, for M, kind of sets the tone, or, or for him it relates somehow to this scene, this meditative scene. So for this, chapter 8, M picks the Bhagavad Gita from chapter 11, uh, verse 43. So we'll talk a little bit about that verse, because, again, the context of the, the next chapter is interesting in light of the context of the quote, the, the verse from the Gita. So, as we know, chapter 11 in the Gita is where Arjun witnesses the cosmic form of Krishna. Up until this point, he thought Krishna was, you know, his charioteer, his friend, and, you know. But then through the course of the ten chapters, he comes to have that firm conviction and belief that Krishna is the supreme, the avatar, the supreme god. And so, in chapter ten, he comes, to the, I have, he, he declares, I now believe, I believe. And uh, Krishna uh, tells all of his glories. But in chapter 11, he asks, I want to see it. I want to witness that glory. I want to see and experience your cosmic form. And so, Bhagavan, Krishna gives him the divine eyes, the Divya Chakshur. And with, that, with those special eyes, Arjun beholds the cosmic form of the Supreme Lord, with mouths everywhere, with eyes everywhere. You know, it's mentioned in the Upanishads, it's mentioned in the Gita, and he's, Krishna's talked about it, but now he's literally seeing it, seeing Krishna in every corner. Like, time and space are just collapsing on themselves, and he can't find himself anymore. He can't see, there's no up, there's no down, all he sees is the Lord everywhere. And he's in his in his half, in his kind of, in that stat, dynamic stasis of awe and fear and ecstasy, he, he starts uh, talking, praying to Bhagavan. And so let's jump back a little further, a few verses, because again, we're trying to get the context. This is verse 43. We'll go to verse 40. And... Um, In verse 40, you know, after saying, after saying that you are Vayu, you are Agni, you are all the elements, you are beyond the elements, you are everything that I'm seeing. You're, I mean, he sees like all the great warriors in the Mahabharata and the battle being consumed and marching into his mouth and being pulverized by his, you know, infinite teeth. And he sees himself and he see, he's just, he's bewildered and just awestruck. So, when in doubt, pray. So he starts saying, salutations to thee from front and behind. Salutations to thee on every side. O all, thou infinite in power and prowess pervadest all. Wherefore art thou? Wherefore thou art all? Whatever I have presumptuously said from, from carelessness or from love, addressing thee as, O Krishna, O Yadava, O friend, regarding thee merely as a friend, unknowing of this, thy greatness. In whatever way I may have insulted thee, for the sake of fun while at play, reposing, sitting, or, or at meals while alone with thee, O Achutya, or in the company, that I implore thee, immeasurable one, to forgive. And then verse 43, Thou art the father of this world, moving and unmoving, Thou art to be adored by this world. Thou the greatest guru, for none there exists who is equal to thee. How can there be then another superior to thee in the three worlds, O being of unequaled power? So that's the verse 43 that M decides in the middle of this boat ride on the Ganga as everyone's munching on Muri to invoke 
And um, so again, it's like, up to that point, Arjun is now, he's just apologizing. I thought you were just, just my friend, you know, we laughed and we joked. And, you know, but it's like, now I see, ah, please forgive me, please forgive me. His, Arjun is just completely humbled. So we'll come back with this image, this incredible image in our mind. We'll start reading and going through. So this section is called Instructing Keshab, Being a Guru in the Brahma Samaj. Guru is one, Satchit Ananda. So that's the, the heading of this mini section within the chapter, within the book, within the volume. So, everyone is making merry. Takor is saying to Keshab, you don't see people's nature before making them disciples. That's why they break away like this. So he's talking to Keshab. He's really, he's referring to Vijay, Vijay Krishna Goswami, who's sitting right next there, who broke away from him. And so Thakur said, you don't look into the people's nature before you're making them your disciple. That's why they're breaking away and forming their own groups. So Thakur continues. All men as a group look about the same. But they have different natures. Some have much sattva guna inside. Some have raj, much rajaguna inside. And some have tamaguna. All pulis, pulis is a type of sweet, all pulis look the same. But some have condensed milk inside, some have shredded coconut inside, and some have kalai paste inside. What, what's kalai paste? How would you describe? The nearest I can say is sesame seed, something ha -ha. like that. So, so all the, they, outwardly, they all look the same. It's the same type of sweet. But you bite into them, they're all different. Different natures. So he says, some have milk and some have condensed milk, some have shredded coconut, some have kalai paste inside. Everyone laughs. So Sri Ramakrishna, he, um, not only was he so liberal and so... Uh, inclusive in in what he taught but also in how he taught and respecting the individual and respecting everyone's again their own nature their own bhav and their own where they are as a as a person and um but also how they are as a sadhaka so i an example comes to mind of the main sannyasin the disciples of Sri Ramakrishna who, became, who took sannyas, there are 16 or, depending who you talk to, 17, maybe 18 uh, disciples of Sri Ramakrishna who went on to become sannyasins. And they were, uh, when they were bo both young men, Thakur was still living, and they were both going to see Sri Ramakrishna, there's two of them, uh, the one who become Yogananda and Niranjanananda. So, Yoganand was a very soft-spoken, very shy person, very quiet. And for those of you who have been to Dakshineshwar and know that a wonderful way to go to Dakshineshwar is by boat. You get in on a small boat, you can go up the, the Ganga a little bit and you get off on the landing. It's just a nice way to go to Dakshineshwar. So Yoganand was taking the boat one day. And he heard someone talking horribly about Sri Ramakrishna, his guru. He heard someone talking horribly. But he was very shy. And he was very quiet. So he just, and he, he, he didn't care what people thought. I mean, let them think what they ever they think. That's, that's, he, he didn't, you know, he just sat there and just ignored them. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know. They don't know my guru, so I just ignore them. So if he got to Dakshineshwar went to Thakur's room, Pranam, talked to Thakur and described what had happened. And Thakur was like, ah, what? They're insulting your guru and you just sit there? This is horrible. You should, you know, you should have, you know, do something. You should, you should say something, you know, refute them, tell them. You know, in the scriptures it says if you insult one, if someone insults your guru, you have two choices. Either you rip their tongue out or you plug your ears going, Govinda, 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 and you run away. So... So he saw, Thakur saw that, looking at his, so yay, get some, you know, go, you know, defend your guru. Now, on another occasion, there was Naranjananda. 
He was fire. He was the one during Thakur's illness. Swami Narendra, I can see in the, uh, on the wall we have a small uh, a picture of the uh, 16 of the disciples. And on the far left, there's one, he's, he's holding like a danda, like this. And he had a big stick. And everyone was wanting to see Sri Ramakrishna as he was going through his illness. They wanted to come. They knew that this was, uh, uh, even though he was in such pain and agony, but word was spreading that there was tremendous grace being, uh, 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 being uh, transmitted from him in that state. And to see him in that state was an incredible thing. And people were wanting to come. But in the process, and, and Sri Ramakrishna was just you know, giving such grace, just so freely. But in the process, he was getting weaker and weaker, and his health was deteriorating even more. Every person who would come and touch, touch him, it, it would weaken him. So the sannyasin disciples, um, who would become the sannyasin disciples, um, the, the boys, he called them, they were all young, 18, 19, and they were like, we need to protect our guru. So Swami Naranjananda, he sat with a stick at the base of the stairs, like, none shall pass, type of, you know, like, you know, that's a so he that kind of sets it up that he he was that type. So you uh, backwards a little bit, and so he's younger even, and he's going to see Sri Ramakrishna. Sri Ramakrishna is his guru, and he's on the boat and he's going to Dakshinashwar, and someone someone starts talking bad about Sri Ramakrishna, starts saying horrible things, and right there. In the middle of the Ganga, Naranjananda stands up. It's one of those small boats. He stands up on the boat and he starts shaking the boat. <laughs> you want to drown right now? You want? He starts like, you you take back what you said, or I'll drown everyone in this boat. And he's just like, it's furious, and just like stands up and rocking the boat with his legs. And, and he was a strong, good, but the person was not did not know how to swim. Oh, please, please, I please, I'm very sorry, very sorry, sorry. So he gets off the boat. And he goes to Sri Ramakrishna, and he goes to Sri Ramakrishna's rooms, pranams, and Sri Ramakrishna, and Sri Ramakrishna hears the story of what just happened. He says, what? You were, you were about to kill all those people because someone said something? Who cares? Just ignore them. Just don't, don't, don't care about what they think. They don't know anything. And you're, you, gotta, you have a horrible temper, and you need to learn to control that. You're better ready to kill all these people for me, for my sake? How horrible. So the same situation because of the nature of the disciple, he gave the exact opposite teaching. Because he, you know, a, a real guru sees what, the, what their nature is. He looks into people's nature and before making them a disciple and knows what's good for them. And as time goes by, knows what to give and when to give it. So, so Sri Ramakrishna, he continues. So do you know my mood? Sri Ramakrishna says, I go on eating and sleeping, and everything else mother knows. So it's like you think about, think about it. We'll, we'll come back to this idea also, that, that initial image that Takur uses, the, the pulis, the sweets. Some are filled with condensed milk. Some are filled with kalai paste. Some are filled with sattva guna. Some are filled with some raja guna. People have some tamil guna. But Sri Ramakrishna, he's filled with ma. He's just completely maws everything. He just he he eats and he sleeps. Ma knows everything else. Yes. So he's filled with ma. He says three words prick my body like thorns. And we'll give them in the Bengali because it's, you can translate them, but you don't get the whole guru. Korta and Baba. Very simple. In all the different translations, they say, you know, guru is teacher, karta is like, it can mean boss, it can mean like the head of the household, usually the man, you know, the head of the household, the, the man in charge, but also it can mean doer, the doer, the agent. In the formal, even in the Gita, we'll see later on, um, probably next week, you know, there's a verse where it uses, the, in it's Sanskrit, karta, and it means in this sense, the doer, and then of course Baba, which, depending on the con depending on the context, can mean father or son or dear or, or uh, you know, it can I mean like the sadhus who come, the Babas. I mean, it's like there's a whole spectrum of meanings to Baba. So like we could we could talk 
for days just on those three words and why do they prick him like thorns? So, so um, but as we, as he continues to talk, we'll see kind of a context emerging. <coughs> so it's like, again, that idea of being filled with ma. He's filled with ma. It's like, we need to be a conduit. You know, like, um, Swami Chaitananda gives a, a very beautiful, uh, beautiful analogy. He, he says, like, you know, Krishna plays the flute. We're, we're like the flute. But if we got mud stuck in the flute, no sound comes. You got to clear the mud out of the flute. The mud is the ego. You clear out the ego, then Krishna can make beautiful music. Then the flute makes, if, if it's plugged up, there's no music, no sound. Also, we'll come back to that scene, uh, that image also. Uh, elsewhere, Sri Ramakrishna, he uses the analogy of like, for someone who's realized, they retain an ego, but it's, he says it's like a line on the water. You draw a line on the water with a stick. It's only there for a second. You do it and immediately, as soon as you finish the line, it's already gone. It's just water on this side, water on that side. It's all, everything is God. So the ego is like barely even there. So it's like these words, guru, karta, I mean even especially, karta. Yeah, I'm the doer. I'm the doer. For, for those who are recently watching uh, Devon Kedev Mahadev, you know, we have Daksha, that's his big problem. Daksha, I am Prajavin, he all perpetually has the, the cloth around his arm. I am Prajapati Daksh. Mm. I am the son of Brahma, Brahmaputra. You know, he's like, yes. He's the son of Brahma, and he is, yes, it's true, he's establishing situation, the situation, he's establishing civilization, he's made all the rules, but he definitely thinks he's the karta, he definitely thinks he's the doer. I am the doer, I am, I am daksh. And problems ensue for him, as we all know. Um, so, but all those three words, are like the terms of respect, in terms of uh, the sense of, uh, of uh, you know, of hierarchy. Thakur doesn't, you know, they prick him like thorns. But the idea is like, you know, his mood, again, his mood, I, I just eat and sleep, and the rest, Ma knows, I, you know, him, he's just, again, that idea, he's just completely, he's filled with Ma. You know, so those those hierarchical things and the guru, doer, boss, however you want to translate it, you know, Baba, it's like, yes. So then the next thing that Thakur says, M has in bold in Bengali. Sri Ramakrishna says, Guru is one. Guru ek satchidananda. Satchidananda. It alone gives instruction. I have a childlike mood. Human gurus number in the millions. Everyone wants to be a guru. Who wants to be a disciple? There was a little context to what he just said about those three words. But that Satchirananda Tini Shikadiben it alone gives instruction. And again, my mood is I'm childlike. I'm childlike. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like a child. I'm a Shantan Bhag. I'm like Ma's child. There's a very different mood. The human gurus, they number them in. His lak lak. Millions, there are millions of them. They're all... Everyone wants to be a guru, but who wants to be a disciple? Some years ago, we were in Rishikesh, and there was one uh, Swami. Uh, Swami Gyananand. Very saintly man. And he was saying, uh, he was in the tradition of Paramahamsa Yogananda originally, and... Um, uh, uh, and so he, he, he studied Kriya, Kriya Yoga. And, and in the course that we were sitting and we were talking with him, and he was, someone made uh, a comment, like, so what is the, the, the proper mood for a devotee, a bhakta? And then there was a little pause, and then Swami Gyananda, he started telling a story how someone had come to him and, um, wanting to interview him, Swami Gyananda, because they were going through and they were 
uh, interviewing and trying to make a book about all the Korea masters. And his response to the person who was trying to compile this, he just simply said, there are so many Kriya masters, but very, very few Kriya servants. Everyone wants to be a guru, but who wants to be a disciple? And Thakur himself, you know, we worship Thakur, we, you know, we talk to him, we, you know, we see him as avatar. You know, um, he himself <coughs> took so many gurus. How many gurus did he have? So many. The Bhairavi, the Bhairavi, Bhairavi Brahmani, Govind Singh, um, and um, Totapuri, of course. So it's like so many gurus he took all, every little, every, uh, uh, every little uh, minute change in his mood almost, he, he had a, a different teacher. At every sect that he practiced, he had a, a teacher. And of course, if we see him as a guru, as a teacher, what is he teaching us by having teachers? That everyone wants to be a guru, but better to be a disciple, really. Who wants to be a disciple? Very few people want to be a disciple. So Thakur continues, Giving people instruction is very difficult. If she appears and gives a command, then it can happen. And we, uh, we can use she. In Bengali, the first person pronoun, third person pronouns have no gender. So it's only through context. So you can say, we say she because he just says, what did Thakur just say? Uh, you know, I, I eat and sleep and everything else mother knows. Mother was his guide for everything. Mother... Earlier in, earlier in the same boat ride, he's declaring, Guruji talked about it last week, and he was talking about that same scene. Um, basically, he says, Kali is Brahman. When I see her, she's creating, preserving, and destroying. When I see her as active, I call her Kali. I call her Shakti. When I see her as being not active, not creating, when she is not acting and, and not um, uh, creating, preserving, and destroying, I call her Brahman. So, uh, but you, again, you can fill in whatever gender you like, but the point, we like she. <laughs> so if she appears and gives a command, Adesh, if she gives the command, and that's in bold, if she gives a command, then it can happen. With Narada and Sukadev and others, they had a command. Shankara, he had a command. Without a command, who will listen to your words? So he gives these examples, Narada and Sukadev. Of course, Sukadev, Narada, who Guruji's been going through, the Narada, uh, he just finished uh, then going through for Saturday satsangs, the Narada Bhakti Sutras. And Thakur himself says, the, the Narada Bhakti Sutras, the Bhakti as taught by Narada, is the Dharma, the Yuga Dharma. That's the Dharma of this age. All the kind of Advaitin, that's very difficult. Yeah, but Bhakti, Narada is very suitable for this age, for the, for the Kali Yuga. And of course, Sukhdev, when M first walks in to Sri Ramakrishna's room, and the door opens and he sees Sri Ramakrishna talking, sitting on the, the smaller bed, talking to everyone, all the disciples around. His first thing he thinks, he felt as if Sukhdev was speaking the Bhagavat. So, Sukhdev, as we know, is that he was born, he didn't, want to, he didn't want to live in the material world, and so he stayed in his mother's womb until he was 16, <laughs> and then came out, and as he was going to get the Upanaya, and going to you know, be initiated into the formal rituals of, of society, you know, basically, Daksha's all his rules, and <laughs> he said, no, so as he was completely naked, he just ran off. He fled. He just ran off into the forest. And the famous story of how um, uh, uh, he was running. And here's this 16-year-old young man running. And he passes as he's running away. Um, 
he passes by there's some young women in the river bathing and they're naked and they're bathing and they don't even notice him go by and he doesn't notice them but Vyasa his father Sukadev's father he's running after him and chasing him trying to bring him back and he's an old man by now and you know he's old and he's running and he's you know clothed and he's running and, and as he runs by the same scene of the women being they, oh, they, they quickly go oh, and they, they shyly and then so he stops and he said my son who's like this you know young strapping 16 year old completely naked rock and you didn't even notice and then i walk i'm this old man i walk by and you're like oh. and they said your son has no body consciousness so he didn't notice that we didn't even notice him at all he was like a in this completely pure, completely innocent. But you, you're a householder, and you, you're, you've done so much. And so they explained, you know, why they reacted that way. I bring this up because these images, we see images of, again, that scene, that scene of uh, Sukadev uh, uh, speaking the Bhagavad to King Parikshit in the seven days before he dies. There he is, there's Sukhdev, still naked, just, you know, you know talking, sitting on the Vyasasan, speaking the Bhagavad, the King Parikshit. He was the, one of the world's <coughs> greatest, Sukhdev, one of the world's greatest Naga Babas. So then, Naga Baba, you know, there's a word again, then Baba. So what is a Naga Baba? There's the, uh, the uh, Rampuri, Baba, who's uh, contemporary Baba, you can say these days. When he says, um, I like what he says. He says, a Naga Baba does not mean a naked man. A Naga Baba means an unfettered mind. So, anyway, I bring this up because again, the the uh, these images. Of Narada and the Chakra speaking Narada and Sukhdev and so again there's this Naga Baba being invoked um, and of course then Shankara is invoked right so Narada and Sukhdev they had a command from her you know and and Shankara had a command of course Shankara spoke the exact opposite of Narada it's like it's like you know Bhakti, you know, it's Advaita, it's like everything is non-dual, you know, he had a complete different uh, bhav. His, his, his inside was completely different, it was like kalai paste, not shredded coconut. You know, he was completely different. And yet, Thakur says, he also had, he had the command. So again, this idea of she commands, and she may command something completely different for someone else. You know, but hey, everyone, if you got the command, then people will listen to you. But so there's a lot in there. It's like he's embedded in that statement that Narada, Sukhadev had a command, others and others, they had a command. Shankara had a command. Embedded in invoking all of them in the same breath. Again, Sri Ramakrishna is invoking that sense of inclusiveness. And that sense of there's a tremendous diversity in this truth that we call by many names, you know, that sages call by many names. So without a command, who will listen to your words? You know Calcutta's fads. As long as the wood burns, the milk hisses and bubbles up. If the wood is pulled away, there's no noise at all. The people of Calcutta are into fads. So it's like that image of, you know, there's the wood burning and there's a pot and the milk is boiling, it's bubbling. The milk hisses and bubbles. But if you pull the wood away, there's no noise at all. And so there's, he's thinking about it. And so what is he, what is, what is he, he talks about fads. This is after talking about this, you need the command. And they, oh, Calcutta people, you know, they're in, oh, there's all, you know them, it's all about fads, you know. And you can say that, oh, well, okay, so maybe, what does Sri Ramakrishna mean? Maybe the, the, the bubbling milk is like, that's the Calcutta people. 
They're all bubbled up, and then go, and then it dies down, and they can't, you know, they lose interest. And that's there, especially what he'll say next. There's that too, but if you look at it this way, thinking of what does he mean by the burning wood? It's like you pull away the burning wood, and the milk stops bubbling. It stops hissing. Stops boiling. And if you, if you look at it in light of what he just said, then you focus on the burning wood, burning wood having that command and being filled with ma, having yourself filled with ma, being that conduit. If you're that wood that's being burned up by ma, by her, by by that fire, by that flame, and you, then you can get people to move. People will listen to your words. They will bubble and hiss. If you don't have that, if that divine fire isn't <coughs> burning inside of you and that passion for God isn't there, then you can just talk, 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 talk and no one will listen. But so it's interesting to see, you know, how to look at the... When Takwar, he brings these very seemingly simple analogies and images, but there's so much to reflect on. So that burning wood, that idea that that fire needs to be consuming if you're going to be a teacher, it's very difficult. Giving people instruction is very difficult, he says. If you're going to get them to bubble and, you know, have that dyna- dynamism, then you have to, you're, you yourself have to be a burning log. <laughs> you know, burning, being burnt up. I'm thinking, I'm reminded uh, of the, the very great saintly Swami Chidananda Saraswati of the Divine Life Society in Rishikesh, disciple of Swami Shivananda. And some years ago, I think maybe five or six years ago, Swami Chidanandaji left the body. And the uh, Shivananda Ashram, they posted the thing on their website. Just kind of uh, a tribute, kind of a tribute meditation on Swami Chidananda, just kind of trying to deal with this tremendous loss. He was very elderly, I think 90, 91 or so. But still, it was a... Uh, and he'd been ill for some time, but still, what a shock. He was a... Talk about a dynamic person, a person people really listen to, uh, his words, and continue to listen to, and will continue to listen to. But I remember in that write-up in the on the website, they used a very beautiful analogy they said Swami Chidananda's life, he was like, he worked so hard and he worked so tire, tire, tirelessly for, you know, for the benefit of others and for, you know, for God. And they used the example of he was like Chandan, he was like sandalwood, being slowly ground and ground and ground. His life, I mean, what an exhausting life. He traveled the world, he did so much, and he was, he was never resting. He, was, he had practically skin and bones. People for years, people gave him, you know, uh, uh, pallets of insure just to keep him alive. He was like so thin and frail because, you know, everything he was doing, everything in his life was a sacrifice. He was burning himself up, consuming himself up, for the good of everyone, for the benefit of everyone, for the for the glory of God, for for the service of God. But that image that he ground his life was he his life was like sandalwood being ground. But the result, what an incredible, beautiful scent, a divine scent, a divine fragrance that emits from that. So his life, from that grinding schedule. And from that incredible sacrifice, such a fragrance emerges. And it's all to worship. It's all to worship. So I think about that. And again, that line on the water, you know? It's just, the ego's there, but it's just, a line on the It's all ma. It's all God. <coughs> this side, that side. It's, the line is just not even there. Or St. Francis. St. Francis's. St. Francis of Assisi, his prayer, O Lord, make me an instrument of thy will. So, if the wood is pulled away, then there's not any noise at all. 
the people of Calcutta are into fads. Right here, Thakur says, right here in this place, they're digging a well. They say, we want water. A stone turned up in that place, so they've given up. Again, in another place, they've started to dig. There they found sand. They've given up. They've started to dig in another place, like this. So, <laughs> so you have this image of these people you know, going around, digging their well. Oh, there's a rock here. They stop. They go here. Oh, it's all sand. And then they stop. They go to keep going to one another. They never get deep enough. And it's interesting also. It's like, what are the, you know, rock. You're doing your sadhana. You're going, you get a mantra, you have a guru, and you're in, you hit an obstacle. You know, you're all flying. Everything's good. And all of a sudden, mind's hard to concentrate. Or things come up. Obstacles come up. You hit a rock. Yeah, it's not worth it. It's not, it's not, it's not real. Forget it. Do you try, oh, I'll try this. I'll try this guru. I'll try this tradition. I'll try this practice. And then after a while, I start it's getting sandy. It's like, it's not an obstacle. It's just getting boring. It's just mm-hmm. doesn't have the same. You know, it's like, it's interesting. It's like, even the, the again, the analogies, but just so specific. It's like, you know, what's a rock? Sand is very different from rock. So the experience in, in spiritual life, sometimes you hit an obstacle and it's like, oh, oh, oh. Sometimes it's, just a sandy, it's just kind of like, you're treading water almost. But you just, you got to keep going. You got to keep going down, deep, 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 dig, or else you won't reach the water. So he's saying the people of Calcutta, eh, they dig a little here, a little there. And it's interesting, that I, again, that image of the, of, the, of the water. Because in the same conversation, a few, three chapters back, I think, a famous... Uh, analogy Thakur is given of there's a pukur, there's a, a tank, a, a pond, and there's ghats on different on the four sides, and it's leading down to the water. And at one, there's a Hindu, and he picks the water in the, in the pukur, he picks it up, he calls it jal. Across the way, there's a Muslim, he walks in, he calls it pani. And then another ghat, he steps down as an Englishman, and he picks up the water in his hand and calls it water. It's the same jaw, it's water, whatever you want to call it, it's the same. So he says, basically, the God is like that. It's the same. People call it different things, but it's the same thing. And so here again, is you have that image of the God. And now you have the image of trying to dig a well to get to the water. And just that image of water, it's like, you know, comparing God, I mean, Thakur could compare God to so many things, or truth, or Brahman, whatever you want to call her, it, she, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> but he repeatedly uses this image of water. What, what you know, what, what is water? I mean, you know, the idea that we need water. We need water to survive. You know, if you dig a well, he, he says, Why? Why are they digging a well? We want water. Another way of translating is that they need water. That's another, the, it can be translated two different ways. Like the point is, is that water is necessary. Why is there a pukur? Why, are the, why is the Englishman and the Muslim and the Hindu, why are they walking down to get water? Why? Maybe they need to wash. Maybe they, who knows? Who knows? Maybe they need to worship. But the point is, ultimately, everyone needs water. If we don't drink water, we will die within a few days. So it's like comparing God to that essential, uh, very essential, for our very existence, we need God. We need, it's, it's part of our essence, part of who we are. If we don't have that, we die. So it's like, some dig and they don't find water. And then, you know, some, they find water and they have a nice, you know, a nice tank, they have a, and then they think, oh, this is water. Or only, only my corner of this pond is really water. I don't know what their people drinking over there, but I'm drinking water. This is only really water. I don't know. They're probably drinking poison. You know, it's like, you know, you, you know it's, it's, it's all water. And it's also that idea that, again, with Takwar, this inclusiveness, again, it comes up, this inclusiveness. God is this. God is that. And God is many other things, Stockwell says. 
got this, got that, and many, many other things as well. Um, that idea that, again, water being that essential thing that's for our very existence, God, truth, that absolute is not an object to be believed in. This is, this is God, that's not. It's not an object to be believed in. It's very, it is, as Guruji once said, uh, it's isness. It's not an object that is to be believed or doubted. It's isness. The fact that we're here. The Upanishad said the proof of, of that absolute God existing is the fact that here's the effect. Here we are. Here's the universe. Here's everything. There's got to be a cause. And um, so the, uh, that idea, again, that like water, if there wasn't water, we, you know, we wouldn't be here. We'd be dead. We need that water. So that, again, that idea that, that, that God is something so fundamental to our very being that we become petty or, or we begin to doubt. But it, it's not that. It's, again, I like that. It's isness. So, uh, there they found rocks, there they found sand, they keep digging, they keep digging, they never get to water, they never find it. Also, if one goes on thinking, he has a command, Sri Krishna says. If one goes on thinking that he has a command, that doesn't mean it's happened. She really does appear and speak. Then one is able to receive a command. How much force do those words have? Mountains can be moved. Empty lectures? For a few days, people will listen. After that, they'll forget. They won't act in accordance with those words. So these days, you know, so there is that there is such a broadness in Sri Ramakrishna's teachings. You know, and Guruji was even talking last week during satsang, or I guess it was two weeks ago, because last week was a codice. And um, he was quoting Swami Sharadananda, another monastic disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, who said that that broad, liberal vision of God and religion was mother's vision that Thakur gave to the world. And Swamiji, Swami Vivekananda, his mission was to help perpetuate that. There's that broadness, this tremendous broadness. And, you know, we see how Swami Vivekananda taking that broadness and that liberal liberality and that inclusiveness, that incredible, almost spiritually revolutionary open-mindedness and liberality of his guru and of mother in bringing that to the West. And we see 150 years later after his birth, uh, Swami Vivekananda, there's so, there, there's there, the, the, uh, the ambient effect in our culture. Not, maybe not everyone knows the name Swami Vivekananda or Sri Ramakrishna, but those ideas so, I mean, uh, Guruji quoted there was some uh, news report, or U.S. News World Report or something, did a poll of Christians. And do you believe that a universal salvation for anyone of every, any religion, that only, in other words, it's not just for Christians? And said, of course, yes, yes, yes. And then they had to, like, the, the, the poll was like skewed. These, they were, remember, they were polling Christians. <laughs> who were saying that basically, yeah, everyone will be saved, everyone will, everyone's fine. At the, in the end, it's all good, you know, no matter what religion you have. And they even had to, like, they, they, they came a follow-up where, like, the, the leaders of various Christian sects, like, that, we didn't teach them that. That's not what the church says. That's not what our congregation says. <laughs> not, that's not what the Bible says. That's not, you know. So, but the point is that these ideas have been sewn into the fabric of our ambient culture almost. Now, if one could argue there's a downside, it's that 
um, it can become easy for uh, in, in an environment where there's so many choices to where, again, oh, I dig here? No, 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 I'll dig here. Because there's so many choices. And it's, if it's all good, then you can just keep moving around. One devotee who used to come here, he used a, an, an analogy that you can jump from the spoke of a wheel, you jump from spoke to spoke to spoke to spoke to spoke, and you'll never get to the center. And you'll just keep spinning and spinning, and it's only in the very center. You need to pick one, and again, it's the same, the same, basically the same thing. Find a place and just dig, keep digging in the same place. You have to do that. There was a at a, a Mount Madonna. Uh, we were in their bookshop, and this was some years ago. Guruji and Ramprayadas and I, and we found there was like a little. It was like a basically a a spiritual joke book. But all good, clean, very fun, and uh, all on spiritual topics. And there's some very thoughtful, poignant things. I remember they had one, those of you may be familiar with uh, Ghirardelli chocolates in the Bay Area. They're very big and they're based in San Francisco. And, and they would have these like you know, big assorted chocolate boxes. But in, in this little joke book, I believe the title of the little book was called God is Cool. And it showed God with a beard and, and like sunglasses. And, but anyway, so in this little particular joke page, it had a picture of like this big box, and in every little compartment was a different guru, and it was called Guru Delhi, and, it, and like all different shapes, and all of the gurus are all in little, little compartments, and they some were skinny, and some were on a bed of nails, some were like lounging, some were like you know big. So it was like instead of Girardelli, it was Guru Delhi. You could pick what what you, and that's that's the one thing is like with so many choices, and if you don't have that. Um, uh, you need some wits about you, and you need some intelligence, then it, eh, religion becomes just like oh, a box of chocolates, to quote Forrest Gump. You know, it becomes a box of chocolates, and, but you, you know, you, you, you know, only it's not nourishing. In fact, Swami Vivekananda himself, in one of his writings, gave a, a nice analogy. He says, the Catholics are very deep they're very deep. They go very deep in their religion. And, but the thing is, the Catholics are very narrow. They th they're very like, nope, this is it. You have to, they're very narrow in their beliefs. And then Swami Vivekananda says, the Unitarians are very broad, and very open, but they don't go very deep. No offense to Catholics or Unitarians. Swami Vivekananda was using generalizations, of course, to make a point. End of disclaimer. So, um, so, but but the 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 punchline is, Swami Vivekananda then said, "We need to be deep like the Catholics and broad like the Unitarians. We need both. We need we need to have that sense that no, not everyone else is going to hell. Not everyone else is you know just half baked Vedanta. You know, not everyone else, you know, or however you want to frame it is that everyone." We'll get there, and everyone, it's all, it's all, it, it truly is all good. It truly is. But you've got to go deep. You've got to pick one and go deep. And again, it's like she, he, it, she really does appear and speak and will give a command. And then, and then, the words you speak, how much force will those words have? Again, mountains can be moved, Sri Ramakrishna says. Mountains can be removed. So we have a, then, with that command, I guess you could say, comes the concept of what, what the authority. What is the authority of a, of a teacher? And so Sri Ramakrishna is saying, you know, like, that authority comes from the big authority. You know, that, that command has to be there. And, um, and we think thinking about how much how much power will those words have? I mean, just see and thinking. Here we are. We're reading the Katamrit. We're talking about it. It's like what happened and what was spoken in that little room next to the temple, next to the Ganga in Dakshineshwar, 170 years ago. It's like, but now it's like the tremendous power and the the small the. Uh, 
the young boys, 18 and 19, or 16, 17, who were listening, and then went on to help change the world. I mean, those 16, 17, 18, depending on who you ask, those monastic disciples, again, talk about, you know, grinding the sandalwood down. You know, I think of that scene in 1886, Shamakrishna has left the body and they're distraught. And they're sharing, basically, they were in Baranagormat, they were like poor, they had no money. They were, they were so destitute that I think among, there were like six or seven of them staying, one dilapidated, haunted, you know, mutt. And they had like to share a copen. So if anyone had to go out, they would put on the coping. That's all they had. You know, and I think about, it was on, I believe, that same year, on Christmas Eve, they had a duni at night. And Swami Vivekananda, I think Swami Premananda, and some of them were there, and I think it was maybe 10 of the uh, 16 or 17 were there. And they took like a rot. Because... Sri Ramakrishna had given them like Garawa cloth, but he never formally initiated them into sannyas. So they were kind of on their own. But there, I think about that image, there they are by the Duni on Christmas Eve and talking about Jesus and Jesus' disciples. And, you know, so inspired and literally fired up. I and mean, again, the fire, the bubbles, the milk, you know, there it is. They're there at the Duni. They're in front of the Duni of the physical duni, but they're they're really they're in front of the duni of their guru. And inspired by that, they make that wrath that we will we will not live a householder life, we will devote our life, we will we will renounce. And they didn't they didn't quite know how or what they would eventually do or what form it would take, but they took that wrath there in front of the duni inspired by the force of the words that they heard in that tiny little room in Dakshineshwar. And so, in that theme, I think that we'll close tonight with, because, again, in this age of Guru Delhi chocolates, um, we sometimes want our teachers to be glow-in-the-dark, as Guruji says. They need to be like, wow, resplendent, coming, like, you know. Like, again, for people who were just watching recently, Devo Kadev Mahadev, with the, the smoke coming in, and the damaru, and the, and the <laughs> effulgent light, and like, ah, he's here, he's here. You know, we, we, oh, we crave that. We want that drama, and we want that excitement. And like, oh, well, he's not enlightened. He must not be. Yeah, but who, who are we to even judge who's enlightened and who's not enlightened? But we say, oh, if, is your guru enlightened? Yeah. In fact, like, coming back to that Swami Gyanananda, someone once asked him, is, is your guru enlightened? And basically Swami Gyanananda said, he replied, well, I don't know. All I know is that he's farther along than I am. And I was drowning and if you're drowning and someone throws you a life preserver, are you going to go, excuse me, sir, are, are you enlightened? <laughs> no, you're going to grab the life preserver and hold on for dear life. So it's like we have, you know, but again, we want our gurus to be like these, as gurus as glow in the dark. You know. But oftentimes, guru, God himself, herself, or God's servants will come in disguise will come very humbly, and you won't even recognize them. And so I thought we'd close with um, a story. Some of you may know, some of you may not know. In, um, in Varanasi, there's the beautiful Sankat Mochan temple. And there's a, um, a beautiful temple to Hanuman. And there's a story associated with how that temple was established. So Tulsidas, who whose you know whose great work the the Rama, his his version of the Ramayana which is so I can't I can't put that how to put into words 
those words. Again, talk about words that have an effect to move mountains. We could, well, don't get me started. <laughs> As wow. And so, so Tulsidas was in, in Varanasi. And every morning he'd go for his bath and he'd go into the, go into the woods. And he would have his water pot. He had his kamandalu with him. And then when he would return on his way back to Varanasi, he would take the whatever was left, the water left over in his water pot, and he'd go to a particular tree, and he'd pour it at the tree, serving the tree. Why waste it? So he'd pour it at the base of the tree. Well, the tree happened to be inhabited by a preta, a particular type of ghost or ghoul, however you want, a particular type of being that's known to be very thirsty. Pretas are very thirsty. So every morning, ah, there was this water, and the, the thirst was being quenched by Tulsidas. So this Preta was so pleased with Tulsidas that the Preta said, Oh, yeah, I'm so pleased. I'll give you a boon. And so Tulsidas, uh, of course, what does he say? I wish to see Lord Ram with my own eyes. Again, coming back to... This is what Arjun says. I want to see you with these. I want to see, see you with that cosmic form. I want to see Ram with my own eyes. That's what Tulsidas wants. Of course, the Preta says, that's beyond my capabilities. But I can guide you to Hanuman. And Hanuman, he can give you that boon. So he, the Preta then goes on to tell Tulsidas. So Tulsidas, again, tying it all in, every evening, Tulsidas would be giving his Ramkata. He'd be talking about Ramlila. And so this Preta informs Tulsidas that there's Hanuman comes to your kata every day, every evening. Hanuman is there. He's disguised. He's the first one to, to arrive, and he's the last one to leave, and he's disguised as a leper. So, I mean, two things. Two things. One, again, we who love our glow-in-the-dark gurus, sometimes God's greatest servant comes in the form of a leper, who's, or the homeless man who's by the overpass, like, you know, with a little cardboard sign. Who knows? You know, God comes in many forms. And the other point is Tulsidas, who his kata, his words, are so full of devotion to Sri Ram that Hunuman himself comes every day. Talk about, again, moving mountains, the force of those words brings Ram's number one servant to come. Every, and he wants to listen. Two points there. So, so that evening, so the Preta is, explains all this. So, so Tulsidas, that evening, he noticed the first listener to arrive was this old leper. And he sat in the back. So after the kata was over, Tulsidas, he quietly he follows the leper into the woods. And he follows the leper. And so then in the woods, at the spot where today stands the Sankat Mochanan temple, Tulsidas fell at the leper's feet and he shouts, I know who you are. You can't escape from me. And he grabs hold of the leper's feet. And at first, the leper, he's like pretending, oh, he's, he's pretending to be ignorant. And then the leper revealed his form as Hanuman. And he blessed Tulsidas. And he grants Tulsidas a boon. And so Tosidas asks, he wants to see Ram face to face. And Hanuman then instruction, instructs him, you need to go to Chitrakut, and there you will see Ram face to face. And so, some scholars of the Tosidas Ramayan, they at the beginning of the Ramcharitmanas, when Tosidas is going through you know, asking forgiveness and, you know, paying, you know, obeyances to basically all of creation. There's one, I believe it's the Doha 7, where he mentions Preta. And some of the 
Tulsidas scholars say that that's him paying his respects to that preta in the tree that allowed him to have darshan of Hanuman and then Ram. So again, sometimes, you know, who knows? The leper in the back of the room may be Hanuman himself. So, I just love that story. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. The tradition of how the Sankat Mochan temple was founded on that spot. So anyway, so we've gone through now this first section of chapter 8. And so I figure next time, uh, next week, we'll uh, continue the second little section of chapter 8. So anyway, thank you all for your kind attention. Jai Ma, Jai Ma. Jai Ma.